So tonight I'm actually going to begin with a reading from the Christian Bible. And and I always like to just test the waters a bit. I know this is a Berkeley meditation group. Any reactions to the fact that I'm going to read from the Christian Bible? <laughs> you got an eyebrow raise from me, but I'm getting... <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> so a couple Bible readings. Um, the first is from the Gospel of Mark, Gospel of Matthew. And I will say, um, I don't want to assume that people have complete familiarity with Christianity. The um, No, no, don't worry about it. The New Testament begins with four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And these are, you might say, biographies of Jesus. They have the Jesus story in them. Um, and so this is from the Gospel of Matthew, and it's from a passage known as the Sermon on the Mount. Um, Matthews 5 through 7 is called the Sermon on the Mount. Um, and it's just the source of all these, like, you know, turn the other cheek, go the extra mile, like all these things that we hear. Um, the traditionalists would say that Jesus went up, sat on a mountain, and just spewed all this out at once. Um, a lot of modern biblical scholars think that is more like a collection of greatest hits that were assembled. So from the Gospel of Matthew, you have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who only love you, what reward will you get? Are not even tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? So again, it contains this, this, this passage contains this radical idea of loving your enemy, which is the theme of the talk tonight. Um, complement that, I'll read another passage. This is from the Gospel according to Luke, and this contains kind of a famous story. Um, And behold, a lawyer stood up to put Jesus to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, What is written in the law? Have you read? And the lawyer answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your soul, and with all your strength and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said, you have answered right, do this and you will live. But the lawyer, desiring to justify justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw the beaten man, he passed on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw the beaten man, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to a place where the beaten man was, and when he saw the beaten man, he had compassion, and went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring oil and wine. 
Then he set him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? The lawyer said, The one who showed mercy on him. And Jesus said, Go and do likewise. So that, of course, is the the famous story of the quote-unquote good Samaritan. Um, The Samaritans at that time were really at odds with the Israelites. They did not have friendly relationships. It wasn't quite as bad as Israelis and Palestinians now, but it was similar. Um, And so it's very striking, this, this answer, who is my neighbor? He tells about this loving across a clear boundary of otherness. You know, and and it, it echoes the theme in the earlier readings, not about loving your own kind, loving across a boundary of otherness. And it's and it's striking because throughout the all four gospels actually, uh the actions you see of Jesus, he's always reaching across boundaries of otherness. He's he's regularly connecting with people who are the rejects of society, whether it's the lepers, the tax collectors, the zealots, the prostitutes, you know, he's having feast with these people and he's being criticized by the religious elite. Like, why are you hanging out with these people? You know, but his, his entire program is this incredibly inclusive, um, love across boundaries of otherness. Now, of course, in Buddhism, there are many messages of of universal compassion. Um, I also want to read a a Taoist passage along these lines. This is from the Tao Te Ching. The sage is always good at saving people, and therefore no one is abandoned. Always good at saving things, therefore nothing is wasted. This is called following the guidance of the inner light. Hence, good people are teachers of bad people, while bad people are the charge of good people. Not to revere one's teachers, not to cherish one's charge, is to be on the wrong road, however intelligent one might be. This is an essential tenet of the Tao. And so, very similar to the Buddhist ideas there, that, um, you know, that, that, that wonderful and frustrating Buddhist teaching, the person who triggers you, the person who really gets under your skin, is your teacher, you know, which is, of course, the the last thing in the world we want to hear when we're triggered. Um, And I'll say that, how to say it? I mean, the, the Buddhist teaching on universal compassion, of course, it's lovely, but I think it's very easy for that to become kind of an abstract head thing. And... And that's why I like the Christian formulation, love your enemy. That's, that's a little more concrete, you know, it's a little more in your face. Um, and of course, I'm motivated to talk about this tonight because tomorrow there's a contentious election in this country. Um, and there's, there's all kinds of boundaries of otherness that are drawn there. Um, I don't know necessarily that people would use the word enemy, but... Any time that that one person is treating somebody else with contempt or disgust, essentially they they have profoundly othered them. And it's 
it's funny this the the idea of loving your enemy when you think about it when we're nice to the people who are nice to us we're really not spending all that much energy like we're really not taking all that much of a risk we can almost be on automatic pilot you know when we're being nice to the people who are nice to us but it takes a certain amount of courage and intention and even a certain amount of vulnerability to risk extending warmth, extending even extending the benefit of the doubt to someone who's very different, to someone who is potentially offensive to us or, um, you know, looks at the world very differently. There's a wonderful passage I want to read in this regard from Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr., So Dr. King, of course, was a Christian preacher. He would have been well aware of the passages that I just read. Um, now, there's a final reason that I think Jesus says, love your enemies. It is this, that love has within it a redemptive power. And there is power there that eventually transforms individuals. That's why Jesus says, love your enemies. Because if you hate your enemies, you have no way to redeem and transform your enemies. But if you love your enemies... You will discover at the very root of love is the power of redemption. You just keep loving people and keep, keep, keep loving them even though they're mistreating you. Here's the person who is a neighbor and this person is doing something wrong to you and all of that. Just keep being friendly to that person. Just keep on loving them. Don't do anything to embarrass them. Just keep loving them. And they can't stand it too long. Oh, they react in many ways in the beginning. They react with bitterness because they're mad because you are you love them like that. They react with guilty feelings. Sometimes they'll hate you a little more because in that transition period, but just keep loving them. And by the power of love, you'll break down. they will break down under the load. That's love, you see. It's redemptive. And this is why Jesus says love. There's something about love that builds up and is creative. There's something about hate that tears down and destructive. Love your enemies. And it, you know, I don't know that I necessarily would, would say that there's a, a, a guaranteed foolproof method there that, that every time you love your enemies, you'll transform them. But there is something transformative about love, and it, and it transforms us as, you know, transforms me as well as the other person, uh, if I'm willing to be in that, that mode of love. Um, you know, and it, it often is a, a very interesting experience just in the world, you know. If if someone is in an angry place and comes at us with anger, you know, just to respond from a place of balance and kindness, you know, it's almost like a an energetic Aikido. Like, you know, there's no one there to fight. It's It can sometimes be, you know, almost shocking to the person. Um You know, and of course, most of the people who walk around the world looking for a fight, looking for trouble, are carrying tremendous pain themselves. You know, the per- the person who's dishing out insults to everyone else is is in tremendous pain. So, all this so far has been about um, interpersonal and um, external enemies. But I'm going to read another quote. This is from Herman Hesse. There is no reality except the one contained in us. 
That is why so many people live such an unreal life. They take the images outside for reality and never allow the world within to assert itself. So there's a very Jungian feel to, uh, to Herman Hesse's, that Herman Hesse quote. Um, Jung talked about how the psyche contains inner otherness. You know, the place where dreams come from, the archetypal energies. These are not under the control of the ego. These confront ego as other. Um, any place that I have refused to feel, you know, or any place that was buried in early childhood that, you know, I buried it even before I, you know, was making conscious decisions. Like, all of those are places that have been othered. You know, I don't want to feel that, you know. And ultimately, it's just as challenging to relate to these internal others as it is to relate to hostile external others, you know. And um, and often the, you know, the external other gets under my skin. You know, the person out there triggers me because there's something in here that I'm not willing to face, you know that there, there's this actual uh, very profound dance between the outer enemies and the inner enemies. Um, and this is where I think love and self-compassion is, is profoundly redemptive and profoundly transformative. Um, and really, I would say even more so than self-compassion, cultivating a deep allowing. Allowing the internal others just to be as they are, just to come forth and speak in their own voice, you know. Just as allowing is magic in interpersonal relationships, you know. It, it doesn't feel good if someone comes at us and says, you know, I like you, but I want you to be this way and, you know, follow my rules. Like, no one wants to receive that. But the person who just has that energy of, you can be however you want to be, you know? And it always feels so good. Like, even if the person doesn't say it, if it's just their energy is conveying that, like, it just you just want to relax around a person like that. And it draws out the best in us, you know? And really, that's the way we draw out the best in others. Sending out that energy of, I'm going to let you show up However you show up, I'm not going to let you abuse me, you know, but I'm going to let you show up however you're going to show up. Um, and, the, you know, this is kind of the lesson that I have to keep learning again and again in my own healing process of extending just allowing to all the internal others because nothing changes until it's allowed to be as it is, until it's allowed to speak in its own voice and say whatever it needs to say, it's only then that it can transform and move. Um, and so it's, it, it's always a fascinating question, to what extent am I sending the, the energetic invitation of allowing? You know, do I send out the energy that energetically says to others, you're allowed to be as you are? You know, and if I'm not sending that out, you know, how do I how do I get to the place where I'm sending that out? You know, and can I send that out, that energy to myself as much as to external others? You know, and I really think the more we send that as a 
as a, a strong energetic symbol signal, it, it the energy really transmits both inner and outer. So at this point, I'll share the quote sheet. Let's see, first of all, I'll share it with the Zoomies. The Zoomies have the quote sheet now. Then I'll share it with the Roomies. Pass that around. So, uh, on the quote sheet, I have the two quotes from the Bible. I also toss in this this quote from a Buddhist writing called the Dhammapada. Dhammapada, how can I say? Dhammapada is part of the, the, the Pali canon, the original Buddhist writings. Um, if you collected the entire Pali canon, it would fill a bookcase. And, of course, every sutra begins with the Buddha said. You know, if the Buddha said all this, he'd have to live to be 3,000 years old, you know. But... But many scholars feel that the, the words of the Dhammapada actually reflect the, the words of the historical Buddha. So the Dhammapada begins, Our life is shaped by our mind. We, we, we become what we think. Suffering follows an evil thought as the wheels of a cart follow the oxen that draw it. Our life is shaped by our mind. We become what we think. Joy follows a pure thought like a shadow never, that never leaves. He abused me, he attacked me, he defeated me, he robbed me. Those who dwell on such thoughts will never still their hatred. He abused me, he attacked me, he defeated me, he robbed me. Those who do not harbor such thoughts will surely become free from hatred. Hatred is never appeased by hatred in this world. By love alone is hatred appeased. This is a law eternal. There are those who do not realize that one day we all must die. But those who realize this settle their quarrels. Words of Mr. Buddha. Then I have the, the Dr. King quote, the Hesse quote. La Rochefoucauld said, Our enemies come nearer the truth in their opinions they form of us than we do in our opinion of ourselves. <laughs> so true. Longfellow said, if we could read the secret history of our enemies, we should find in each man's life sorrow and suffering enough to disarm all hostility. And I often say, I think it's so true, I think, I think it's just kind of the human condition. You could pick anyone off the street, and if you just saw all the pain and all the suffering that happened to that one person, it would be absolutely heartbreaking, and we'd feel nothing but compassion for that person. Abraham Lincoln says, I destroy my enemies when I make them my friends. Gandhi said, it is easy enough to be friendly to one's friends, but to befriend the one who regards himself as your enemy is the quintessence of true religion. The other is mere business. Nelson Mandela said, if you want to make peace with your enemy, you have to work with your enemy. Then he becomes your partner. The Dalai Lama said, It is the enemy who can truly teach us to practice the virtues of compassion and tolerance. Sally Kempton said, It's hard to find an enemy who has outposts in your head. And often they do have outposts in our head. That's the problem. Stephen King said, Only enemies speak the truth. Friends and lovers lie endlessly, caught in the web of duty. 
And Jeanette Corrin said, those who are difficult to love are are difficult to love because they have gone through difficult things which have made them the way they are. What you need to do is forgive. What they need is your love.